You can now hear Movie Heaven Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers who enjoy talking about directors' work from the history of cinema. And uh, after several of our podcast specials over the last few weeks, we are actually back to our um, regular program, which is uh, taking a director and looking at their work, and we each choose a film of theirs that we really love and a film of theirs that we maybe don't like so much. And uh, we're, we're now on the letter D. Uh, obviously, as with most letters, um, there were a number of options that we could choose for this one. Uh, last season, we dealt with Brian De Palma. Um, so this time round, we are going with Jonathan Demi. We are indeed. And uh, he has uh, quite a big body of work. I mean. He certainly does. <laughs> I mean, one, one of the re- I have to, uh, uh, you, you know, apologise to the listeners. One of the, one of the reasons we've had a little bit of a gap uh, in our regular program. Part of it is due to the fact that I started a new job, a new day job. So um, that that obviously took up some time. But the other thing is, yeah, um, going back and sort of doing the research on this. Uh, I realized there was some of his, his work that I, I hadn't actually seen, but also, um, and this is one of the things I kind of love about this, this whole film thing, even though it is time consuming, is, you know, once you look at a, a director's work, particularly someone who's had some variety in their career, uh, it's interesting because if you start looking, whether it's a director or an actor or a genre, um, often there are other works that, uh, that, that, that are somehow related. And, you, you know, it's kind of never-ending, really, <laughs> this thing with Phil. And because, obviously, he's done, as well as genre work, he's done some sequels and some remakes uh, in there. It, it, it involved, or at least I wanted to go back and sort of revisit some of those other films as well. So it meant watching more films than would just Jonathan Demme's films, as it happened. <laughs> oh dear he did too much too well much. you know it's a passion isn't it it's a passion project what can i say but uh but i mean he, he is interesting because he's kind of got sort of three strands of work hasn't he he's got his uh his feature films which mm. you know are quite varied um he's got his television series which obviously he used he started off in his career with some of those and then obviously 
you know, more recently has, has sort of made, as many have, a, a transition back to television. And then obviously he's got his performance films and documentaries. So um, th- th- there's quite a lot of stuff there in, in, mm. his, in his packed canon. <laughs> and of course, he, he is another, um, he's another one of these incredibly fortunate uh, guys that sort of got his break through the, the whole Roger Corman um, school of filming. Uh, like like many that we've chatted about on these podcasts. Uh, unlike our last uh, director we spoke about, uh, James Cameron, um, Demi had directed some more films for Corman. So uh, Cameron directed The Piranha 2, and um, Jonathan Demi had directed uh, Caged Heat and Crazy Mama and Fighting Mad. And I think Handled With Care is, is a Corman one as well. But there, there was a film that he made... Uh, called Citizen Band, which I do not see on the IMDb page. Ah, okay. Yes, yeah, CB radio thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw an interview with him where he was talking about um, Citizen Band and the fact that it was a flop. And after that, nobody would talk to him. Agents wouldn't talk to him. Studios wouldn't talk to him. And... Uh, he got like a he was actually on the emergency fund from the dga he was that broke and finally he got a meeting with a producer and he was a a new guy and he had a film coming out and he said what's it like to have a flop you know a bit shocked that somebody would call him in a a meeting and you know he says well something like this would happen to you but the thing was he kind of then went on to do a columbo episode and Peter Fork had seen Sitson Band and really liked it. And then that led to him directing Columbo. And then um, there was a change of studio heads at United Artists. And that's how he got Last Embrace, because the new studio had, knew, had worked with him previously. So he gave them a job. And then after that, his, sort of, his career got back on, on set again you know started to work out so he you know if there was a point where his career could have ended and he stuck it out and you know and then went on to you know be an an academy award-winning director yeah absolutely no he's um you know he's he's very good i mean i know we've 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 talked um about paul thomas anderson on previous uh podcast and uh paul thomas anderson always kind of um uh, cites Jonathan Demi as one of his one of his sort of directing heroes. Um, so I know that he he's a big fan. And um, uh, it was interesting. His name came up in conversation actually the other day as well. I, I went. I was lucky enough to go to a screening of um, the the Beatles' Eight Days a Week, the touring years. That, oh, okay. In other words, the documentary about the Beatles that Ron Howard. Um, who's also obviously a, a Corman alumni mm. um, directed, and uh, Ron Howard actually said that um, somebody somebody asked about you know the fact that um, you know he he he's sort of gone into um, di- directing a, a documentary type film, which is not normally his thing, and he'd previously done it with a um, a documentary about Jay Z uh, originally, and he said that he was very sort of uh, hesitant. To, to take it on and it was actually his good friend Jonathan Demi who who said to him you know go for it and uh, obviously Jonathan Demi having that sort of voice of experience um having you know sort of straddled his work between doing 
you know, uh, drama, narrative films, and obviously performance films and documentaries. So, um, so, so yeah, it's interesting when you're sort of tuned into a particular director, suddenly, uh, you, you know, their name starts popping up everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I, I love the, um, uh, documentary stop making sense, but it, it's kind of, but when you say a performance piece, it, it, it is, it's a, it's a, a, it's a live performance of their, their tour mm. and you're, it's shot in a way that you're the audience. You're there watching it happen in front of you. And, you ne- and there's no cutaways. There never ever is a shot of the audience. And um, I think one of the reasons why that was shot that way is because of uh, the incredible lighting that um, Jordan Cronenworth had done for that show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think um, uh, I think he was actually interviewed by... Uh... Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and and they sort of talked about that and he said he did he did originally try um showing the crowd and and having audience reactions but yeah it it didn't quite work so um they went to that sort of and and when you think about it again this is kind of subjective shots which um obviously we know he didn't create (laughs) it you know lots of directors had, had done this previously but subjective shots is one of the things that um if he has a trademark you know uh, jonathan demi's work is 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 very known for isn't it um mm. you, you know that and 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 putting other filmmakers in his films <laughs> well he's always putting roger corman in his films that's right the director of the fbi <laughs> <laughs> roger corman <laughs> we love you roger <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's also been like a CEO, and uh, yes, yes. oh, and, uh, Francis Ford Coppola put him is a politician in um, Godfather Part Two. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, but, indeed. Yeah, but I mean, Roger Corman, <laughs> he pops up in so many films. He does. Well, I mean, let's be honest. He shaped so many people's careers. I mean, so many of of, of the generation that, that that you know we were fans of. Mm. Um, certainly, you know. Um, which is good and then of course you know the other thing um uh jonathan demi is sort of well known for is is long going collaborations with um well in some cases some actors but certainly with um his cinematographer Ta- <laughs> fujimoto yeah yeah is it fujimoto is that pronounced correct uh, yeah fujimoto, fujimoto. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um you, you know as well as some of his other uh, designers and 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 collaborators on his movies. Yeah, so. well, I mean, you, I, I chuckled when you said uh, actors because uh, Charles Napier is in all of his <laughs> films. We love Charles Napier. <laughs> uh, Charles Napier was like a good luck charm for him. So yes, he's, yeah. he, I think the first film he worked with was Last Embrace, but from I that think film, that might be right. Yeah. yeah, but from that film onwards, he is in every one of them. And he's always it's always like a small part, isn't it? Well, he's a hairdresser in one of them, isn't he? Um, is that married to the mob or possibly? Uh, I mean, yes, in something yeah. wild, he's a chef. <laughs> yeah. But he's always he's always like an angry character, isn't he? Well, yeah, very well, stern. He's that kind of guy, I think. Yeah, mm. absolutely. But no, we 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 love Charles Napier, so it's good <laughs> yeah. that he always uh, he always crops up in, in his stuff as well. And you know, it's good that. Um, you know, he comes from that sort of school of filmmakers that that that, that are very sort of loyal and um, you know assemble a team around them. And again, I think that's something that very much um, 
has been one of those traits that uh, that, that that Roger Corman, you, you know, has always sort of um, instilled in people who have been his students. You know, um, about surround yourself with a team you trust because filmmaking is largely about trust, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, just talking about uh, Roger Corman, um, you know, he. You know he he's the the king of the B movie. He you know started in the in the sixties and uh, you know just made lots of films very cheaply. And the thing is, he's somebody who gave other people a chance. Uh, I, but I, I'm always curious. I don't know if it was from a point of view of that he believed in them or if he just believed that they could do it for the little amount of money. <laughs> it's just cheap labor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yourself in this industry, it's, uh, it's very exploitative. You know, people mm. like, you know, I always see adverts, oh, would suit a student. And he worked with a lot of people who were new to the industry or had come out of, uh, college over in the States and were looking to make films and stuff. And, you know, I instilled working practices in them, but I don't think that was what he set out to do. I think that was just a byproduct of what he was doing because he had a very high turnover of films. I mean, you know, for a long time he was shooting over in the Philippines, making like, um, well, like Caged Heat, where these like women in prison films. Yes. So, you know, all his work has always kind of been exploitative and you know, whatever was the, the trend at the time. I mean, making stuff like The Trip with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. there's There's been a couple of times where um, Roger Corman was close to getting films that became much bigger. So, uh, like um, Easy Rider and Alien. Alien originally was considered to, it was written to be a Roger Corman film. <laughs> There you go. You got it in 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 this podcast. We got aliens in there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's becoming an ongoing joke that now, isn't it? We need to, it is, we need to get it in every podcast. <laughs> but I mean, that's just but I mean that those are the two examples that spring to mind. I'm sure there was other films that were you know when they were written, they thought, oh well, this could be a Roger Corman production. And and then went on to bigger things. Yeah, I mean, he's a very interesting chap in his own right. And I think, you know, maybe maybe when we get round to uh, to to see again, you know, in a year's time or whatever, maybe, maybe we should do one on Corman. Possibly, but he didn't direct that many films. <laughs> Not that many. No, he did do no, some. Did I mean, do he did some. he did some of the uh, the Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, didn't he? That were very successful. I yeah. think he directed a couple of those, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but no, um, you, you know, it's it's great that he was able to give some of these um, filmmakers that we love um, that they're they're beginning, and uh, yeah, very good too. And and as I said, he, he's he's had almost like an acting career out of it as a, <laughs> as a result. <laughs> well, yes, the people who have worked for him have been very loyal. I yes, mean, <laughs> <laughs> from you know Joe Dante to. Um, you know, Jonathan Demi and uh, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. All those guys. All those guys. They 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 loved him because, you know, he, he gave them a chance, you know. And I think my point is being is there's nobody quite like that these days. There's nobody out oh, there no. who go, Yeah, you go ahead and make it. Just as long as you can make it for some amount of money, you go ahead. Yeah, well it's a very it's a very different time. I mean, mm. um 
without wanting to go off on too much of a tangent, um, just briefly, I, 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 uh, I'm sure you probably caught it as well. I mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, um, you, you know, last time we did Brian De Palma. Yeah. And interestingly, I went to see the the, the documentary about him. Um, and, uh, you, you know, he was kind of saying about the, the fact that uh, that that whole era, I mean, you know, ra- rather arrogant of him to say so, but at the same time, uh, true. Um, <laughs> he was saying that that whole era, he said it was it was uh, Lu- Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, Spielberg, Scorsese, um, and 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 him, you know, uh, and he was sort of saying, you know, that that was kind of a a lightning in a in a bottle uh, type moment because mm. um, you know that was back when the studios were sort of able to take chances with these sort of independent maverick type film directors that um, uh, y- y- you know before the exec or sort of before the studios got run by corporations etc and probably is something that would never happen again today and i did sort of sit there and think yeah god damn that was that really was the the the, the really cool <laughs> era wasn't it <laughs> it's considered to be kind of like a golden age or a renaissance in hollywood because um the studio system was collapsing and there had been a lot of costly flops you know musicals and uh and suddenly this sort of independent film came along called easy rider and it suddenly opened the doors to studios to young people because they were just desperate they didn't know what to do they didn't know they were very out of touch with the public yeah and you know the 60s and 70s was you know a comp- it was a time of such upheaval but the thing was it's, it then soon sorted itself out because as soon as they realized about blockbusters with jaws and star wars those kind of opportunities then stopped yeah they then went back again to you know go working with directors who had been tried and tested so you found that people from tv and music videos suddenly in the 80s were suddenly being hired as directors because they had a you know a body of work to them but if you want to read about all that there's a great book called easy rider raging bulls Um, yeah great book great book check it out i'm sure it's uh you can you know it's been out for a while i'm sure it's still in print and it, it documents that whole time and you know it kind of it does sort of throw the blame on star wars for the end of that but also <laughs> the fact the 80s as well was coming and it was just, again a different time a different attitude yeah 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 and that is the thing about movies you know past present that they're, they're all and i'm sure the future as well they're always um you, you know the whole industry and everything is affected by you know what's going on socially and politically and and technically <laughs> in the world that we live in you know <laughs> well yeah i mean also the fact that the, the way hollywood is at the moment that they spend so much money on a couple of films that you know there's if they start not making that money back there's there's going to be repercussions and so you never well, know well yeah know. yeah i know that, that, that it, it is it is an interesting time for sure and uh, yeah. um it, you know hence why a lot of these uh, filmmakers are now sort of going back to their, to bring us back to Demi, you know, going back to their television uh, roots in some cases is because, you know, you've now got, you you know, TV is that, is that big area again now. And, um, you know, you've got your sort of blockbuster movies at the cinema, you know, your massive 200 million 
dollar budget films. Uh, then you've got the odd art house, you, you know, film right down at the other end, independent art house movie. And then the middle ground now is kind of filled with that, you know, uh, high quality, you know, television serialized and, uh, uh, and episodic dramas. Yeah, so it's so it's it's yeah, it's 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 an ever shifting landscape, and it does tend to sort of go in circles as well. Yes, um, yeah. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) God, it's such a big subject, isn't it, film? (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I I think Jonathan Jonathan Demi's another one for for you and I that that you know of our era and our generation that, that that was always kind of there we were always aware of and um you 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 know this this guy is another one of those that that, that did have some variety in his work in in terms of types of genre and whatever but always always carried a certain amount of a um uh a signature stamp on you you know with with things like his um his roving shots and his uh subjective camera angles although interestingly even though we pick up on that it's not massively showy in a way that that you know, like we always know a De Palma film when we're watching it, for example. Mm. But um, with a Jonathan Demi, yes, he has those traits, but it doesn't necessarily distract you from what's going on in his films. Uh, it's it's used quite well, I think, um, and and a bit odd for actors, I guess, to have have them actually look directly, you know, into the barrel of the camera, as it were, straight into the lens, but. Um, but I'm sure we'll come on to that with some of our picks, won't yes. we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, we, we definitely will. Yes. We will indeed. We will yes. indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into our picks. Uh, yes. So, Keith, what is your pick for Movie Heaven? Right, well, my pick for Movie Heaven, I mean, you you, you picked my first choice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I went with, um, in fact, you've already mentioned it. Uh, so a, tra- a bit of a transitional film for him, 1979 thriller the last embrace um this uh you know i very much enjoy this because it is very much um in the model of a uh sort of hitchcockian type thriller uh although you know his style of directing um you know he is obviously very inspired and he admits it by by hitchcock's work as as you know everybody is i guess to a degree but also um he was a big fan of the whole french new wave uh era and 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 took inspiration from there as did hitchcock of course um so uh yeah i i enjoyed this um it is based on a novel called the 13th man uh which was written a couple of years prior to this film being written uh or being produced should i say um stars roy schneider who was sort of coming off the back of his sort of huge success from jaws um you know, you know a few years earlier and uh janet margolin who's who's an actress that um sadly sort of passed away long before her time and didn't really maybe have the uh the, the career she perhaps deserved but um she did do a number of performances and and obviously this in this particular film as as your kind of in inverted commas love interest stroke femme fatale perhaps um you, you know uh does does give a very good performance the the other thing that's that this film in terms of actors is is noteworthy for is it is an earlier 
not the earliest, but a fairly early performance for Christopher Walken as well. Um, it was just before he sort of became a, a big name after after films like The Deer Hunter. But um, he has a, a significant role in this also. Um, so very interesting. Uh, it's not. It's one of those films that I think has has got somewhat forgotten. Um, in, in cinema history and I think the reason for that is even though I've picked it as as movie heaven because I enjoy it and I see the merits of it and and of course I, I do as not a shock to anyone but then you know that I like this genre um, by the same merit is by no means a perfect film um, even Jonathan Demme himself uh, on reflection ha- has has various issues with this um, the the most noteworthy being that one of the things he learned from it was maybe the, the the script was underdeveloped before they went into production because things happened rather quickly on this one um and he had this opportunity as you as you rightly said at the beginning of the podcast simon off the, off the back of the success of the colombo episode and um you know, he had to get uh, he, he sort of had to get on with this production rather rapidly t- to meet everybody's um, availability schedules. And as a result, that there, there are certain subplots that, that that weren't developed in this film. And I think overall, perhaps let it down somewhat. I mean, uh, what, what, what were your feelings, Simon? Have you, had you seen this before? No, I'd not seen this before. This is actually the first time i'd heard of it so i was quite interested in seeing it and uh it was just a it was a, a nice little thriller it's kind of like because there's a there is a story thread that just doesn't lead to anything really and it's yeah it's the whole the whole it's the whole business with uh christopher walken and the agency he works for who we never find out who it's called or no it's a uh, government it's a government agency and yeah. he's some sort of uh you know he's in the sort of spy business but uh we never really you, you know that that it's it's always kind of a faceless somewhat ambiguous uh organization that we never really find out too much about um in this apart from him having a fight with charles napier um sort of halfway through it this doesn't lead to anything. No, I, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's one of those, um, you know, one one could argue if if they're saying that he's being very Hitchcockian about this, that it, that it's somewhat of a, a MacGuffin in 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 the film. Um, there is, I mean, th- this is a film that deals a lot with paranoia, paranoia and obsession uh, in the way that um, you, you know Hitchcock's wonderful Vertigo does, uh, but obviously. It is less structured and, and, and much more underdeveloped um, mm. than, than that film. Um, although you can certainly see some parallels as well. <laughs> the reveal, the, the twist, is it comes a, a, a bit too early. So th- there's this whole mystery going on about uh, why has is, why is somebody put a Jewish curse on him? He has no idea why. And then when he finds out it's like uh, his uncle who was running these tenants and running a a brothel, um, as soon as we find that, then we we just sort of cut straight to the scene where suddenly, uh, spoiler, (laughs) uh, that we learn that his uh, would-be girlfriend is actually the killer. Yes. 
I was just like, oh, okay. I, because the thing was, I had it, it was kind of weird. You didn't you you knew she was kind of up to something, but you didn't know quite what it was. And so the the reveal of it was, I felt clumsy. Yeah, no, no, I I would agree with that. It does seem like uh, literally a switch is flicked. Um, you, you you know, you've got this 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 sort of. You've got this setup at the beginning where you, you know he's he's a spy and obviously he's had to take some time out because um, he had a he had a job some I think it was eighteen uh, so, sorry three months or whatever earlier um, in, in just outside the Mexican border and uh, his his wife actually um, again spoilers <laughs> his <laughs> wife actually gets. Uh, killed during that and he you know this this obviously he goes off he takes some time out of work uh gets some counseling uh you know he's trying to sort of psychologically deal with this um before returning and and obviously when when he does come back there's there's a lot of paranoia at play about whether or not um the agency he works for is in fact trying to uh trying to assassinate him trying to get rid of him and then he meets this, you know, this this woman, and uh, you know, rather bizarre meeting. <laughs> um, you know, she's what is it? She's no, it's no, his, no, it's his place, but she's she's rented it yes. while he was away. Yeah, is that right. But he comes back early. No, not quite like that. But it's uh, it's a case of I think the government body that he works for owns the property. And so while he was recuperating, they rented it out. That's right. And of course, he turns up there, you know, thinking that his place is still his place, and it, she's she's moved in. But but then you have after watching it, you wonder, well, did they actually rent it out, or did she just move in herself? Mm, yes, and well, and also uh, there are a few on, on. It's one of those films on second watch. Uh, there are various clues and clippings and things of that nature around the the rather messy apartment that he comes <laughs> back to uh which which are kind of clues to this 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 whole mystery um but you're right that the, the switch the reveal is is very sudden yeah. um you, you know he, he's away sort of uh you know investigating all of this and obviously looking at the uh um you, you know this this sort of conspiracy about the, the, the this this Jewish Jewish run brothel etc. And then we suddenly cut to her and her character's kind of changed completely. And we see her with another another man uh, in a bathtub. <laughs> and um, yeah, she 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 then becomes the sort of femme fatale and 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 kills this guy and and then suddenly you know we're we're on the side of oh dear you know Roy Schneider's characters in, in trouble but it isn't done like a like a hitchcock thriller in so much it, uh, uh, it it's very sudden isn't it yeah it's very... I, I i think that the the problem i uh, I, I think well, i think what the problem was with it is that uh it wasn't a discovery by Roy Schneider's character it was just showing it to the audience so it wasn't that he stumbled upon her like leaving the uh murder scene or anything it's just it's shown to the audience so you know then we know oh she's she's the bad guy and then we also have to wonder what john glover's um his character the um the 
the, the Princeton guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what his involvement is in it, and because yeah. uh, he's a very shifty character. Because um, up to this point, there had been kind of a, a little bit of a love triangle between Roy Schneider and Janet uh, Margolin and John Glover, because John Glover's got a thing for uh, for Janet's character. And Roy Schneider, and he sees Roy Schneider as like you know, uh, as the competition, and so he's kind of a bit jealous of him. And she's kind of you know you don't know if she's kind of flirting with Roy Schneider because she cares for him, or if she's just trying to wind up John Glover's character. Yes. So you kind of have that. So yeah, it's once you then find out what's happened, it it. You know, when it once that comes in, it does it does it ruins it a little bit because you had this that wonderful play and then and then you sort of go, oh, okay, well that's what's going on. It's it, it it's not a realization by yourself. It's it's just really forced on you. Yes, yeah, and and also um, this is where this is where um, uh, Demi sort of differs from from Hitchcock, even though he he. he you know, very clearly had, had sort of studied him on this is we, we have a lot of sort of um, misdirection and, and paranoia set up where, um, uh, you know, Roy Schneider thinks he's being followed. And um, there are a lot of very Hitchcock type shots where you don't have the reveal of who's following him. You know, you see parts of the body, but never the face and all this sort of thing. But then further in the film, you have. Um, you, you've already mentioned it—a shootout in the in the bell tower—and mm. with that, he's he's kind of it doesn't seem particularly planned. It seems much more sort of loose and improvised, and as a result, doesn't really. I don't know about you, but I found that um, in terms of screen direction, I kind of got lost as to you know wh- where he was and what he was supposed to be pointing at and shooting at and um i don't think that was you know in some films that's intentional in this case i don't necessarily think it was intentional i just think it was the type of coverage that that he had um what did you think about that bit i knew what was going on i I kind of understood the space and everything and you know things like that uh but i do see your point about kind of being improvised and sort of made up on the spot yeah yeah it's it's uh whereas obviously you know as we all know hitchcock would have uh every single shot would have been like meticulously planned out ahead of time and uh it's just a different style of directing i know but um you know but you gotta remember this was kind of forced upon him he only had a short amount of time to make it so all that time that you would normally have for prep he didn't have yes so i would imagine a lot of this film was made up on the spot yeah 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 (laughs) absolutely and um and then of course um one of the and i don't know whether this was the original theatrical poster or uh, one of yes. the things that that's that's happened sort of since the films come out on blu-ray and, and dvd or whatever but the the other big problem or i i, I looked mm. at it as a problem is the poster whereas very dramatic and everything is kind of a major spoiler <laughs> <laughs> before you even see the film isn't it <laughs> well because it's final set piece piece takes place at uh, niagara falls 
which is beautiful, by the way, if you've never been. Uh, it is a fabulous place to visit, Niagara Falls. <laughs> no, it really is. And uh, <laughs> and Superman never appeared anywhere. <laughs> there you go. But the, the thing is, um, so that's that's quite a good resting image. So uh, I believe that was the original poster. So, But yes, it, it was a, a hell of a spoiler. And uh, I think the like DVD cover is just like a, a, a very sort of, photoshopped picture of Roy Schneider and uh, and Janet Margot together. Yeah, and they haven't even got the correct wardrobe on that they are actually wearing <laughs> in that scene, which I find really annoying. Oh, go. no. But, uh, out of yeah. continuity. Out yeah, of continuity. yeah. I mean, what the hell? But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it leads to this. God, any, anybody who's listened to this is definitely not going to bother watching this film with all these spoilers. <laughs> but um, it, 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 it leads to a sort of, which I think is very well done, the, 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 the chase um at at Niagara Falls, which which sort of ultimately leads to that uh well it's kind of a riff on Hitchcock's saboteur, isn't it? With mm. um with with her hanging over the falls and and rather than a sleeve ripping it's it's actually the uh the buttons on her um uh you know waterproof um shower thing um <laughs> ripping away, isn't it? Yes, uh, yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah it's like a Mac. Yeah. yeah 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 and it's you, you know it's 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 kind of a well it, it definitely is a downer ending i mean again it's a, it's kind of a uh uh a part homage to vertigo as well i guess mm. um but uh and, and and also you know we've seen you know it is interesting how um you know directors have been inspired by um by these things and, and sort of fed fed it into their work because because what it also made me think of which y- y- you know many could say is an awful reference but i couldn't help it it did kind of make me think of it is um Ren- rennie harlan's film cliffhanger right yes. Stallone in. yeah y- you know that that film the best sequence of the entire film is the first bit which mm. is really tense and, yes. and really nicely done and again it's sort of borrows from these kind of um uh you, you know these kind of tension elements um but works very well yeah <laughs> so um considering all the sort of uh negatives we've had to say about the film what was it about this film that made you want to pick it as movie heaven i i think i think it's because i do i i, I mean as as we've had we've had a, it, it's it's evoked some discussion which i always think is good but but me personally is as i understand that it's not everybody's cup of tea um i actually really enjoy this uh i think um you know i think it's very well shot generally i mean you know I've, okay i've criticized the, the the bell tower shoot a little bit but but generally generally across the board that the film is very well shot um i think roy schneider is absolutely great in this i mean he really works as you know i'm often talking about the uh you know, you know the, the 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 leading man in a in a thriller. You know the um, okay. In this case, he is a spy rather than just an ordinary guy. But you know, thrown into those sort of extraordinary circumstances, and um, I, I think you, you know he he's very good in this. Um, uh, it's interesting to see Christopher Walken. Uh, even like like you said, it doesn't really go anywhere. But it's it's interesting to see. Uh, Christopher Old can get into play straight to camera in some of, uh, again, Demi's sort of signature subjective shots. Um, and yeah, so, so I, I think it's, it's, it's a good thriller. Um, it's not a perfect thriller, it, it, but it, but it's a very good thriller. So, um, 
yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, and and I, I found it quite interesting to, to to go and watch and and revisit and and talk about. It. So, um, uh, I mean, I had seen it uh, a long time ago and hadn't really remembered it. And uh, you know, again, kudos kudos to Clive Ashenden. He 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 was the one who actually kind of mentioned it when we were talking about Demi and I said oh yes you know Last Embrace that's, that's a film you should go back and uh, and check out again and um uh yeah yeah it's very it's got that sort of Hitchcockian th- feel which is always good for me and um yeah it's not perfect but it is very enjoyable I think. So speaking of uh subjective uh camera shots um my pick is the uh fruition of that where he uses it very masterfully and um you you probably know you probably guess what i'm gonna pick because it's one of his best known films and you know if if i hadn't picked it first uh, it would have been my pick for sure it would have been your <laughs> pick. no surprises but my pick is uh the silence of the lambs wonderful yes <laughs> now, um, I first became aware of this when I was watching uh, the Oscars, and I think it must have been 1990, where Jodie Foster turned up on stage with this older gentleman to present an award. And I'm like, who's that? He seems to be British. I don't mm. know who that is. I was about, you know, 14 at the time, so... I was a bit naive, and then, uh, and then the next year, they both won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, what's this film?" And I, I remember the um, the advertising campaign because I believe it was one of the first ones to have that sort of infrared camera in the cinema screen with, with the audience jumping and screaming and stuff like that, and then talking to people as they come out go oh my god that was really bloody scary wasn't it yeah it was margaret god bloody hell i jumped out my seat several times (laughs) (laughs) and so um of course being too young to see at the cinema of course when it came out on video was there renting it and it's um it's a a a great it's a great film i mean i i have to say it's kind i think it's like his his best film he's ever made yeah, but I, I would agree. I mean, yeah. it's the one he won the Academy Award for, and um, you, you know, it, it is, it is, I think, a, a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, as you know, I'm a massive fan of the of of the franchise, anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, for for me, uh, I think I spoke um, when we when we talked about Stephen King. Um, mm. I talked a little bit about misery. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really, to be honest. I wasn't as eloquent about misery as I, I hoped to be uh, because I really did like that film. And I'm well, on listening back to it. I thought, Oh, I didn't really, didn't really say much about it really. But um, I remember it was the same year uh, that misery came out and um, you know, I'm a couple of years older. So uh, I was, I was just about able to go to the cinema to see these films. And um, for me, uh, y- y- you know, I'd always grown up as as you had. You know, we always talk about how we love horror, and uh, had grown up with the sort of um, uh, monsters like y- y- you know Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers. You know, and I know there were others, but y- you know those those kind of screen um, horror villains, uh, monsters. Um, 
And, you, you know, growing up, those were always the sort of films that, 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 that's uh, in the horror thing that sort of freaked me out and that, that I related to. And then, um, you know, we talk about sort of being first and second generations of things. Obviously, I was a second generation uh, psycho fan, you know, big fan of, of that. And you had the sort of Norman Bates character. And I always kind of then, you, you know, felt the same about Hannibal Lecter in so much as this was a a scary monster of a character but unlike these other sort of silent masked monsters or, or he, well okay freddie wasn't silent but you know he was horribly burnt and whatever monsters these these were the guys that were even scarier in some respects because they just looked like normal people and they were educated um you, you, you know ordinary men that did these, you know, awful um, psychopathic <laughs> behavior, you, you, you know, um, uh, acts. And I always found that uh, for me, that the whole Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter was was a really disturbing character. And I remember, as I said, I, I saw this. Um, I did get to see this one on the big screen, and. I couldn't sleep. I went to see it with a good friend of mine, um, Wayne. I think I think it was. I actually had a sort of sleepover. You know, it was back in the days when you sleep over at your mates and watch videos and all that sort of stuff. And um, I, uh, I I couldn't sleep. I was totally freaked out by this. And it was. I realised it was. It was the psychological side of it that had gotten to me. Um, and you know, that's when I sort of really became to appreciate exactly what a psychological thriller was and um i think that you know no one really does it better than than they do in silence of the lambs it is an absolutely amazing film well i mean this is the thing i mean the you you you've, you've got two two villains in this you've got hannibal lecter and you've got um buffalo bill and they're both disturbing in their own way one of the reasons why they're quite disturbing and quite you know, quite a threat is the fact that um, that Clarence Starling is compared to him is a weaker character. Now, I'm not saying she is a weak character, but compared to Buffalo Bill and to Hannibal Lecter, these guys could overpower her. And that's kind of where the tension comes from, because she is, you know, she's a woman. She She hasn't even graduated from the fbi she's not a full agent she is just a cadet and you get that sense from the the very beginning i i always love the sort of the opening sequence where you see her working alone because you get the sense that she is somebody who's being followed that you 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 haven't really no it doesn't it just sort of drops you into her doing a middle middle of a sort of obstacle run and she could have just been any kind of jogger down the you know running through the park she could have been like a, a victim but as you get to know as you you get to to realize that she's a very intelligent character and that um she is very able and she's probably you know better at this than the men are yeah and she's incredibly brave as well that's the other thing she's amazingly gutsy yeah <laughs> but i mean you you do get they you know but throughout the film you it's it sets her out at the beginning to be kind of weak and maybe a victim and then by the end you know she is 
you know, definitely the hero. She overcomes so many obstacles. But um, going back to the sort of subjective camera work, um, why it works so well in this film is when they're building up to Hannibal Lecter, the, the one thing that they, people keep telling her is don't let him into your mind. You know, he'll fuck with you. And the, the thing is that uh, Cla uh, Clarice does that. She does let him get in into, into her. And you see that with the subject, subjective camera work, because at the end, when they're, they're finally doing their sort of game of question and answer, his, his, um, his eyes are right at the top of the screen. And she is, her face is kind of smaller in the screen. And so every time you see that subjective camera, when it comes to the two of them, it's either that Clar if Clarence is, is doing, it's like getting one over on Lecter, she is bigger in the screen than he is and vice versa. But by the end, he is so big in that screen, he fills it up. He fills her mind up. Yeah, no, he he uses he uses it in just the right places. That mm. that is the thing. It's it's kind of um, it's perfectly put in there. So uh, it, it does. It has that sort of emotional and psychological effect on you as 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 a, as a viewer. And um, you, you know th this this is incredibly well done. And you know I, I love this film. I mean, again, it's one of those that that I've owned so many times and got so many <laughs> versions of. It's ridiculous, but. Um, uh you know the thing is uh why hannibal lecter has become a character that's gone on to you know be in so many films afterwards is is because he's a character that you actually you like that you could you know he is a joy to watch you know because he's he's the guy who gets the one up on everybody mm -hmm. you know yeah but and but the thing is it it's part of his character as well. It's part of his character that he is charming, that he, he does seem to be kind of welcoming, even though he is, you know, standoffish. Yeah. But then when he goes into cannibal mode, then you go, fucking hell. You know, that the, the scene where he attacks the guards. Yeah, one being Charles Napier. One yeah. being Charles Napier, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you absolutely believe what people were saying about this character. And that whole sequence with his escape is that oh it works it's, it works so well and the first it's time the yeah. first time I saw it you, you didn't you didn't figure out how he got out until that reveal no I, I, absolutely in fact in fact it's funny how um, as, as well I, I, I mean you know you know I'm not saying he certainly wasn't the first to do it but it's it's obviously been done so many times since um, la later on in the film where they uh, where they go to sort of um, track down uh buffalo bill yes. and uh and, and you see the sort of police arriving and yeah. that's intercut with what's going on inside the place and yes. uh, and 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 you know we realize when he opens the door and clarice is there we realize that that you know as a filmmaker he's completely fooled the audience into thinking this was a different scenario than it was and and mm. again that was so beautifully done so i mean he so deserved the oscar um for this because it 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 just is so well made um 
well performed. I mean, it's great that uh, obviously Anthony Hopkins had had a you know career for for many years before this film. But let's be honest, this is the one that sort of made him an international superstar and and the the actor that we know and love today. Yeah, certainly, this yeah. is what defined him. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean. You know, that could wax lyrical about this this all day. I mean, I actually, again, why, why it took so long, um, I made myself, I had to go back and I did it sort of um, in in chronological order in so much as, as I went and watched, uh, for some reason, Hannibal Rising, which is obviously supposed to be a prequel to all of this. But then I watched, you know, the the the, the, the Holy Trinity, as it were. So I watched um, uh, Red Dragon because we'd already watched Manhunter for the the, the Michael Mann one. Uh, I watched Red Dragon, the remake. Then I watched Silence of the Lambs. Then I watched Hannibal. And of course, it it, it, it doesn't quite work because <laughs> because of the order they made these things in. Obviously, um, Anthony Hopkins goes from old to young to old and then we've got obviously um you've got uh harvey keitel turns into scott glenn and then jodie foster turns into julianne moore so it's a complete mess in terms of actual continuity but it it is it is i, I always enjoy that I, I always think it's fun to sort of watch these films uh as a trilogy and um uh, perhaps not so much a quadrilogy I could have done without Hannibal Rising, I'm sure. But yeah. uh... <laughs> well, I I only watched Hannibal because I'm not a big fan of Red Dragon. Red Dragon was just, oh, it, it, it's like doing the Psycho remake. I mean, what was the point? Apart from putting Anthony Hopkins in there. Well, I mean, seriously, no point at all. Well, I know we, we covered this a lot yeah. on the Michael Mann podcast that we did last yeah. year, but um. But yeah, I mean, you know, I like it from a, I, I see what they tried to do. I mean, Brett Ratner, I know he gets a lot of stick generally, although he is doing very well for himself with his company, uh, Rat Pack Entertainment. They seem to be uh, involved in absolutely everything coming out. But um, but yeah, you know, I, 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 can, I can see what he was doing and, you, you know, it is a whole nother podcast, but um, obviously it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, come close to this, although I appreciate they were trying to tie it in. In fact, one of the things, again, this is going to be a bit like my um, rant about the end of Casino Royale and the beginning of Quantum of Solace, is one of the things that kind of annoyed me slightly, although, again, I, I was totally with them with what they were trying, is, uh, as, as we'd said on the Michael Mann podcast, they'd sort of, with Red Dragon, they'd sort of expanded it out slightly to involve more of anthony hopkins and have more hannibal lecter scenes in it and um try and tie it in you know with the with the design and the the uh, uh the, the look of it um but they do do a little coda at the end which would have been nice had they got it exactly right is that they've got anthony hold back playing um uh frederick chilton in this and um apparently he had a totally different hairdo so he wore a wig and everything to do it and there's a scene at the end where he comes and says uh uh you know the, the, there's the fbi have sent a young lady uh to see you um you, you know shall i tell her to go away and then hannibal looks at the camera and says uh what's her name right but you know which is kind of a nice touch but the thing is when you watch silence of the lambs 
Chilton is wearing a completely different suit to what he has on in that last scene. So I'm like, they went to the trouble to give him a wig and whatever, but they didn't get the suit right. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these little things really annoy you, don't they? Well, I? I'm just a, what can I say, a perfectionist. You know, they made a crappy film, which, you know, <laughs> they all, which was based on a, you know, already masterpiece. So. I think that was the least of my worries. It was just like, oh god, try to just try to tie it in. Oh yeah, yeah there's a young female. It's like, oh god. I mean, it's just no, no. And, uh, and of course, and of course, and of course, we. I know again, we talked in some length on the Michael Mann one about the uh, the the Brian Fuller Hannibal television series, which is of course now finished. But one mm. one of the issues they did have, in fact, was. Um, Silence of the Lambs is an MGM property. It's it's the only one that's not owned by the De, La- De Laurentiis um, yes. company. So as a result, uh, they weren't allowed to use uh, Clarice Starling or Buffalo Bill or any of this story as well as those characters. And it was a shame because he was always trying, Brian Fuller was always trying to get the rights so that he could do um, an, an adaptation of this but uh, mgm didn't want to give them up in fact uh, i've heard talk that they, they've had in development for a little while um a clarice starling series uh that they've been thinking of adapting from this um but uh you know so, so that's that's why this was never tackled or or, or homaged in any way in, in the series was because of a rights thing whereas obviously Red Dragon. I think one of the reasons they went and made that was to was to cash in on that property, and likewise, um, you, you know, Hannibal Rising came out at a time when it was very popular to do prequel films about characters, whether it be on television or, or at the movies. And again, I think um, between them and Thomas Harris as, as the author, uh, they 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 looked to sort of commercialize on that and and cash in on that a little bit, and then of course. You know, the end of Hannibal, um, it would have been nice. Again, Fuller had plans to sort of carry on from that and see what happened. And um, after he got on that plane with only one hand, you know, so it would have been it would have been nice. But I I don't think we'll ever get that now because, you know, A, the series is completely cancelled. And B, I don't think Hopkins will come back to the role of, 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 of Hannibal no. You know, any any time soon, he's got his he's got his commitments with Westworld now, hasn't he? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> so, it's, it's it's not that. I think he's just it, you can only play a character for so long. And the thing is, uh, every every time he's played the character, it, it, it each time it kind of gets worse. It's it's not it, it doesn't seem to be up to this uh, the high watermark of this film. No, and it's a shame. I mean, the the Hannibal. Uh, watching that it's it, it kind of sort of tried to shine a bit of a light on of what was going on there's these whole load of tapes and stuff and yet it kind of takes away from this film in Hannibal you know when she's listening to all the recordings the older Clarice yeah, yeah that yeah. Dr. Chilton had been uh, he had recorded and we we, we know this because he we the, you see a bit when he is listening to a, a tape because he he sort of um... well, he's quite a nasty, weasley little character himself, isn't he? Yes, he is. But I'm saying when he ushers, because uh, Clarice Starlin tricks Hannibal Lecter in giving her a uh, you know a psychological breakdown of Buffalo Bill by saying that if um, 
Oh, what's the character's name? Uh, if Catherine Martin is rescued, that they will take him to. Uh, was it? It's like an island, and he can walk on the beach and all this That's kind right. of stuff. And then he kind of, you know, comes along and goes, "Oh, you think you're going to walk along the beach? You know, see all the uh, all these little turtles and stuff." Uh, that ain't gonna happen. But I've I've made a deal with the, the senator. Yeah, I think the reason why Hannibal Lecter works so well in this film is is the breakout scene because in Hannibal, there's nothing quite like that. I mean, there's no. a whole bit of him being hunted down in Italy, and him getting the upper hand on his pursuers, but it's it, not that elaborate. No, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, this film, interestingly, I mean, I, I think Silence of the Lambs is one of those films. I mean, be, be, because because the whole Hannibal Lecter, Thomas Harris thing has become a franchise now, we, we automatically kind of try and shoehorn it in there. But let's let's be honest, really, Silence of the Lambs is a standalone film that works completely in its own right. Um, because what 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 I always thought was interesting is you can see just by the design of this film that they were not making or trying to make uh, an official sequel to Manhunter. Yeah. This was purely an adaption of, of, of Thomas Harris's novel. Um, you know, hence why everything from the from the casting to, to the actual visual look of it, it is completely different. And and we've already, I mean, we've already waxed lyrical about how wonderful Manhunter is. Mm. But that is very much a a, a Michael Mann stylized piece sort of set in its own universe and and this even though one could say it, it, it's a sequel of sorts because it is based on the on the next book in the series um it, it is completely its own thing isn't it yeah. it's it's completely yeah. different yeah. and uh, obviously red dragon was their um their way of trying to sort of uh, as i said capitalize but also you, yeah. you know tie tie this in with with what is an amazing story you know <laughs> yeah. so I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, I've. I mean, I think we're spending too much time on the other films. <laughs> we should just yeah, concentrate yeah. on this one because the on other land. films. Well, yeah, because the other films pale in, in comparison with this, and um, yeah, I mean, it, and also the fact that not only do you have Hannibal Lecter's storyline, but you've also got Buffalo Bill, and uh, or, aka Jamie Gunn, played by Ted Levine, and uh, you know that wonderful is, performance, wonderful by perform- Ted Levine, yes. Yeah. And this whole idea of um, of a man trying to make himself a woman's suit because it, it, he believes it will it will make him complete somehow, but of course you know it wouldn't. And the the thing I liked, uh, especially with that final scene where Clary Stalin is trying to find him, you know, and he's you know he's on his own turf. We we've already seen that he uses uh, night vision goggles to uh, pick out his prey and so as she's sort of going around trying to find where he is you just see all this wonderful production design that i i each time i watch it i see a little bit more i mean i never noticed the nazi flag in there or the, oh yes the yes. polaroid photographs of him with the uh with the girls oh i mean it it really it really is very creepy and, and and very well done did you know what was in the bathtub what was in the bathtub his mother oh is that who that was supposed to be that's his supposed mom. to be his mum. Oh, yeah God. yeah because th- that was why it was because it looks like i well when i first saw it i thought that was where he put like 
his not when he was you know kind of well i guess it's kind of like scalping isn't it but it's, it's scalping skin off but you know, skinning yeah skinning. yeah there we go yeah it's more, it's more skinning that was i thought that was maybe where the sort of the waste was going but uh no it just turned out that it was his mum. <laughs> because oh because the thing is that when you see the bathtub that's when the lights go out you yeah. don't really have time to register what's what it is but no. that's what makes it so creepy and that whole sequence is very tense and oh know. it's beautifully done i mean again you using the whole night vision thing um was 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 really good again actually using a sort of point of view shot there um yes and also uh the the, the wonderful foreshadowing when you see you know like you said there's there's a number of scenes at the beginning with uh Clarice going through her FBI training at the academy, and um, obviously uh, it all pays off because, of course, um, uh, you know, you know, it's that whole thing about check what's in the corner of the room, etc. So, um, you, you know, it, it's really well; it's just beautifully done. And, and I could watch this film, you, you know. I mean, when you picked it, obviously I would have picked it, but when you did, I was like, "Well, this is wonderful. It's just an excuse for me to sit down and watch it," uh, you know, for the for the God know how many of the time. Yeah. But, um, it's just a pleasure. You, you're kind of right about the training, but the thing is what gives Jamie Gunn away is that he, she hears the, uh, the click, the yeah. hammer being pulled back and That's she right. reacts and she, you know, she gets a bit of um, like powder burn on her face from it. Cause he was so yeah. close, but it was, it was pure luck. If he, if he had sort of, done it a bit further back she would not have heard him and you know he could have still been out there yeah or that you know they would have picked him up but clearly starling would have you know been another victim of his so it was it was kind of like uh and pardon the pun blind luck yeah yes indeed. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> she was able to survive that encounter yeah yeah no absolutely and um uh you, you know i can kind of Based on how strong this script was and how strong this film was, I can kind of understand why she wasn't sort of chomping at the bit to return for Hannibal. Um, because let's be honest, that wasn't as good. No, um, I mean, Ridley, Ridley did a great job of the film, I think, but the actual you know, story, the material itself wasn't, wasn't as strong. as. In fact, it's interesting because I think of Thomas Harris both Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs are incredibly strong stories. Um, you, you know, the, the, the two that go each side of it, you know, which were written afterwards, Hannibal and obviously Hannibal Rising, not not quite as strong, but, the, but those two books are amazing. You know, yeah. the, um, Well, I mean, yeah. the, there was a problem with Hannibal as a book and the, the fact was that at the end, him and Clarice went off together as, yes. as a couple. And exactly. it's just like, <laughs> no. And then, but they had that problem where throughout the film, there is this kind of, you know, will she, won't she kind of thing going on because he's clearly sm smitten with her. And yet that didn't strike me as, you know, in, in Science of the Lambs, he wasn't smitten with her at all. He just saw her as like a plaything, something to, you know, to get some enjoyment out of. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's... Nice. Yeah, I, I don't know if there was a kind of respect by the end of it or stuff, but, uh, you know, he certainly, you know, for somebody who's who's locked away in prison, you know, this certainly took up a lot of his time. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he got quite a bit of pleasure out of it. 
but to, to think that he would be romantically inclined towards her is just it's just weird mm. yeah no yeah. It, it, it was odd it was odd and i'm glad they didn't go there yeah i mean the first half of hannibal is is, is quite good uh but all was... the stuff in all the stuff in in rome is amazing and, and again they they did that as well in the in the tv series a lot of that stuff with the patsy character etc but so uh, that's that stuff's really good yeah but the whole stuff with uh over in America was a bit daft, and the mm. um, the man eating pigs as well. <laughs> they were huge. I mean, they're just unbelievable. I mean, this is the thing about Science of the Lands. It's one of the reasons why it's scary is because it's plausible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the whole Mason Verga thing was was slightly larger than life. It wasn't was. It? I mean, it was an enjoyable performance. <laughs> it, it was yeah. an enjoyable performance <laughs> by Gary Oldman. But then he, for some weird reason, he wasn't credited. Yeah, well, that that was again. That was something to do with. He 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 eventually got credited when it um when it came to home media, but in the the cinema version, he he asked to have his name taken off it, and there's there's all sorts of conjecture right. around why that was, and I'm not too sure. But um, mm. I I don't know. I think it might have been of just to sort of that make his character more believable. I wish it was that. I think. I think. I think it's something from what I've read. Although, it, as I said, it's all conjecture. But from what I read, it might be more ego based. But I don't. Go know. on, hit us with the conjecture. I, I can't even remember. Uh, where the hell did I even read it? I probably read it on um, on a wiki or something. But uh, um, hold on. What? Well, carry on talking about it. While you're doing that, <laughs> I'll try and find what I read. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, more science of the labs. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I have to say the actress who plays Catherine Martin's very good, and um, you know she's she's sort of gone on to do a lot of stuff. And uh, I remember her in oh, it was that weird sort of um, mockumentary. Oh yeah, series seven, seven, the contenders where they. Oh that. really? Yeah. Oh she, okay, I didn't even realize. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She she's in that. She's the pregnant woman. Right, and okay. you know she's in like Interstellar, uh, American Horror Story, Criminal Minds, Great At Me. You know she's she's got a hell of a career, a lot of TV yeah. work. But no, Fair she was enough. she was very good in it, and I'm and also the fact that there's there's a lot of memes out there concerning Buffalo Bill and his character. Uh, oh yeah, a, a favorite yeah. one of mine is um, um, was it Bill would fuck Bill. <laughs> be like bill fuck yourself because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that whole bit with um the tucking scene the tucking scene where he's uh <laughs> dancing to uh is it uh dancing horses yes yeah yes that's a good 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 track actually it's yeah uh, yeah um, but the thing is now forever linked to that film i remember clerks 2 actually uh sort of parodied it where uh jay was sort of he sort of he was doing the lipstick thing and then he was dancing and you know doing the whole will you fuck me (laughs) (laughs) i mean that stuff is really creepy and it is really creepy and the whole thing about it it puts it in the basket you know it puts the lotion on itself it puts it in the basket yeah you know yeah it's 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 yeah yeah it's still like i said i couldn't sleep after that film Mm. it really affected me anyway i found the quote about gary oldman okay from uh co-producer martha de laurentis yeah she said she claims that they had a funny situation with 
Oldman wanting a prominent credit. She said, now, now that you have a prominent credit with Hannibal, um, sorry, now how can you have a prominent credit with Hannibal? The characters of Hannibal and Clarice Starling uh, so really work together coming out at first. Sorry, I hate it when they paraphrase. You know, you know yeah. when you read quotes and they paraphrase it and then it doesn't mm. make any sense. Um, Oldman was apparently out of, of the film for a while. Then he came back asking to go unbuild. Mm. So I, I, who knows? Who knows what the truth is um, about that stuff? But, but regardless, uh, he, was, for me, was one of the strongest elements yes. of, of Hannibal, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the TV, uh, yeah. sorry, the film. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, it was weird because um, I, I remember I was working at the cinema when it came out and uh, he wasn't credited. And uh, I knew this going in and, and then watching the film, you think, well, okay, well, he's under a whole lot of makeup. You probably wouldn't know. And then there's the flashback scene where it clearly is him. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, that's really, yeah. that's really weird. Okay, uh, it is, it is, yeah. it is. And and yeah. again, again, they do cover that is something that they were able. They they put it chronologically different, but they were able to cover that sort of thing in the uh, in, in the in the TV show. And apparently, Brian Fuller always said, had he been able to do Silence of the Lambs, which he wanted to. Hmm. Um, he would have cast Ellen Page in the role of Clarice Starling. Okay. Which is interesting. But, been uh, different. Um, I don't know if she would be right for that. Who knows? who knows? It's, it's hard yeah. to compare. It is. It, it is. Yeah. Until, but... until you actually see it, you don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all thought that Heath Ledger was going to be terrible as the joke. And, you know, how wrong were we on that? We were. Yes. Different, <laughs> but, but amazing. Indeed. Um, so so yeah i mean uh love love it uh you, you know as i said i look at it as something standalone to manhunter which i also love in a completely different fashion mm. um but uh i really liked what he did with this film and yeah it, it still it's still up there for me and, and as one of the you know one of the best films uh of its time yeah, it's um, it is a great film, and uh, one nice thing about it is it's got a, a a lot of repeat value. You can go back and and watch it as many times as you want, and it doesn't get boring. Because sometimes with thrillers, once you once you know what the twist is or how it works out, then it's a bit you know matter of fact and that's true. Boring. Yeah, but there's less you this this you enjoy because there's some great character work and I mean also the fact that you learn so much about the main character and why she's doing the things and why it's called Science of the Lambs exactly and and a great and again great uh, I, I still remember the the poster for this mm. again it's it's very iconic um, some great imagery yes so. yeah right. Good well, choice, Simon. I'm glad you. we were able to talk about that and, and, <laughs> and, and the extended franchise again. <laughs> well, okay. Well, t having been to movie heaven, we'll have to go to movie hell. So uh, oh. join us after these messages uh, for our picks. What's the matter, Jane? It's kind of hard to explain. I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something wrong. Jane? I suppose we can't expect her to get over it, just like that. Look, you passed this. 
Available now on Amazon Prime in the US, UK, Germany, and Japan. So, you're making a film. Horror film. Meta horror film. A horror film about horror film. Horror film about cinema. And why would you do that? Life is so beautiful. You just have something in your eye. I thought you said you wanted to do something different. Why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? Drive me mad. They all have opinion on everything. Nobody listened to me. Nobody tried to understand anything. Just too much. I found out recently that I had a, a syndrome when I was younger. When I tried to go to sleep, the whole world will change. Like everything will go too quick, too slow, or too big, too small. I could control it. Benny Loves Killing. Available now on Vimeo and IndieFlix. And if they don't go for it, you'll kill them all. Kane, the Stone Cold Assassin. Three men, Corbin Taylor, Zeke Jones, and Jesse Williams, were held for questioning by Marshal Gazer. His revenge will be swift. Ain't you the law around here, Sheriff? Nowhere to run. No place to hide. Jesse, you ever meet Kane? The new violent and bloody horror short from director Mike Tank. Red. Wolf Pines. Is that what you told Luke? He died like the dog he was. Starry, keep eyes as Kane. That bastard ain't gonna find us out here. Available on YouTube and official website www.apocalypticconservatory.com. Red Wolf Pines. Rated R for Rowdy. Right, we're back, and uh, now it's our now it's our turn to talk about uh, our sort of maybe not least favorite films from uh, Jonathan Demme's uh, canon. So, uh, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Okay, well, yeah, um, this was uh, you know often I find movie hells hard to find, but in this particular case, uh, it was it was quite an obvious one for me. I'm afraid. Um, I have picked, uh, well, first I'll tell you what I've picked and then I'll tell you why, et cetera. I have picked uh, a film he made in 2002, uh, which is called The Truth About Charlie. Um, 
Now, the reason I picked this is this is a remake of the classic film Charade or Charade, depending on where you're from, how you pronounce it, which is the 1963 uh, romantic comedy mystery film um, starring Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant, okay, directed by Stanley Donan. And uh, I have to say, Charade is one of my films that I really enjoy. It's one of my favorites. It's, it's, it's a great, it's very of its time. Um, but you, you know, both Hepburn and Grant are absolutely at their best in this. Um, and you know, again, no, no surprise, but it is often called the, uh, the, the greatest Hitchcock film that Hitchcock never made. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, th th this, this is a great movie, um, uh, as I said, very of its time, and is actually one of uh, Jonathan Demme's favourite films of all time as well. And, and here, here begins the problem, I feel. Mm. When directors get success and then they're able, they're basically given a free reign to go and make their favorite films, uh, it doesn't always work. I mean, the prime example here is, you know, Gus Van Sant, who, you know, got massive success with Goodwill Hunting, etc., was given free reign to go and make something. So what did he do? He made a color shot for shot remake of Psycho, and um, it was bloody terrible and sort of <laughs> derived by everybody. Um, you, you know, you know, it, it really didn't work. Um, now, Demi didn't quite go to that extreme in so much as Demi uh, attempted to reimagine uh, The Truth About Charlie, uh, sorry, Charade in The Truth About Charlie and contemporize it, uh, go very different with the casting. And uh, as well as being, and he admits this, as well as being a remake of Charade, it is also kind of a homage to um, his love for the French New Wave films, um, particularly some of Truffaut's work uh, from the 60s. And again, as th this was a mistake because he was sort of throwing all sorts of references in this film that were very out of place and felt really forced and, and, and didn't really work. Uh, this, this film structurally and tonally is, 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 uh, I would say a real mess. And you know, it takes a lot for me to say that about movies. Um, the film stars, uh, this was, this was an era where, in my opinion, Mark Warburg was going through his crap remakes phase. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mark Warburg, you, you know, it, he'd obviously been Marky Mark and, uh, you know, many people would, would, oh, can we take this guy seriously as an actor? And of course, he started off really strong because he did Boogie Nights for poor Thomas Anderson. He'd done Three Kings. Um, you, you know, he, he'd had quite a good start to his, his career. But then he sort of went through this, this, this period of being a bit of a joke until some years later uh, in The Departed with Scorsese. You know, he, he sort of got his credibility back again as, as, a, as a decent actor. Um, obviously they've cast Mark Wahlberg in this particular film, um, as the cat, same character that, um, uh, Cary Grant plays, uh, so well in, in, in charade. Uh, obviously they, they decided to go younger, um, and go different with this. Um, 
And, you know, this, this was around the time, as I said, Mark Wahlberg had done, which we talk about on the on the Burton podcast, but he'd done the kind of reimagining of, of, of Planet of the Apes, which which wasn't that great. I think he'd done that the year prior to this. Um, and he also went on to do a sort of reimagining, although it's only really the loose premise, but um, of the Italian job, which, again, is a whole nother podcast. I'll be honest. I actually don't mind the the, the the reimagining of the Italian job because it's so different. But mm. uh, but in this case, they in terms of actual plot, um, they they've stuck very closely to the 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 original film, and that's the thing. When we look at remakes, um, remakes have been happening since the beginning of of filmmaking. So people always think of remakes as being something fairly new, but no, it's been been happening for you know nearly a hundred years. Um, the terms reimagining and reboot uh, have, have obviously been more pre- uh, prominent in the last fifteen to twenty years. Uh, certainly in the in in the film and television world, uh, although they had been used sort of extensively in in uh, graphic novels and comic books and, and video games prior to that. But you know there are lots of different remakes out there. There are there are shot sh- for shot remakes like the. Um, the, the the Gus Van Sant Psycho and I guess um, John Badham's version of Nikita. Um, you, you know there are scene for scene remakes which basically you know follow follow the same plot exactly but done somewhat differently. And then there's there's other films that that just sort of take just the premise or the or the plot and some of the archetypes and um, and go somewhere completely different with it. Uh, as I said, in this one, he, he's, he's sort of opted for trying to do something different, but largely following the same plot and 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 kind of reimagining the characters slightly. Um, but why doesn't it work when the first film uh, or when the original film does? Um, I just think, you know, I love Tandy Newton. She's gorgeous and I really like her. And, she, and I think she is not too bad in this. But she's surrounded. The, the chemistry is all wrong. Mark Wahlberg in this, they they tried to sort of dress him in like he, he wears berets and trilby hats and roll necks, and he he just looks uncomfortable and out of place in this film. They also recast the Walter Matthau character from the first film with Tim Robbins, who you know is a fabulous actor again, but uh, tonally. Um, I'm not sure he he sort of fits in this really. Um, and then of course you've got all sorts of cameos, odd cameos from heroes of Jonathan Demi's from the uh, from, from from that French New Wave um, uh, cinema. So all in all, I look at this as a, as, a, as a bit of a mess, and I kind of appreciate what he was trying to do, um, but I think that uh, it was a mistake for him to try and a remake charade which is one of his favorite films but also try and put all of these um french new wave homages in there and all in all this 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 it's a hard film to watch even though the story uh with its twists and turns and reveals is 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 taken straight from the the original script um the execution of it is 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 disjointed and tonally all over the place and is quite sort of boring 
um, to watch. So, yeah, I, 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 I feel that I should say more, but that, that's kind of how I... What did you think of it, Simon? <laughs> I f- I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to like go and have lunch or something while you kept talking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get it all out, you know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you bring up so much. I I think the problem is is that it it's a it's a film of its time, and it worked the the original works because of its setting and the time it's set and trying to sort of update it to now it it just falls flat because it it, it just doesn't work and that's the fact that um uh, tandy newton's character is just not very likable at all and is and seems to be way too dim she just really doesn't quite know what's going on at all does she well, no, I mean, you know, she is the character that we we sort of follow through this mystery, mm. and yeah, um, and, and if you're not a, f- a fan of her, then I mean, I am a fan of Tandy Newton, but oh no, no, but I'm 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 not saying I'm saying a fan of the character. Oh right, because yeah, I've seen yeah. Fandy, uh, Tandy Newton in so many other films, and she's given much better performances than this. I mean, she kind of seemed to be running on neutral for this film i think she just i know i I, either she was scared to do something different because she was such a fan of it or or she wasn't that interested it was well she she was obviously by this point already a um uh a a, a, one of jonathan demi's collaborator uh collaborator with jonathan demi on on other films wasn't she Mm. so um she was. I know that he actually wanted her to. He, he didn't audition anybody else for this role. He yeah. kind of wanted her to fill this mantle. And obviously, these are big shoes to fill because th- this was all. Audrey Hepburn did this film when she was absolutely at the height of her career, yeah. and uh, you know, a massive, massively stylish lady and uh, an actress. Um, so, kind of hard shoes to fill as well, particularly as. France of the 1960s is very different to France of the uh, of, of the new millennium. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or sorry, Paris, should I say, to be <laughs> precise. Um, uh, the other thing that I've, I don't think worked in this film was we were supposed to believe that, you, you know, over the course of this two, three or four days, whatever it takes place over, that, that, that she, even though she, she spends most of the film not knowing who he is because of his, his lying and his deceit, you know, she falls madly in love with um, Mark Wahlberg, you know, with his character, which in the, in the original film, um, there's, there's less of that because of the age difference. I mean, obviously, um, Cary Grant at the time was quite a, quite a bit older than... Um, uh, than Audrey Hepburn, but also, hey, this was Cary Grant. I mean, this was a guy that that oozed charisma like you would not believe, you know. Um, so, uh, I I found it in this film much harder to buy. They they did things I really didn't like as well. Is they they kind of thought obviously Mark Wahlberg being a guy in fantastic shape, you know, the Calvin Klein model and everything. They, they, they seem to have a need for him to uh, 
to change his shirt in the room for no apparent reason other than to get him shirtless <laughs> for, for a scene, which I was like, mm, that, that even that didn't sort of make sense to me. I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, Mark Wahlberg is a bit of a conundrum because most of the time he's really wooden as anything, but then suddenly a film will come along where he's really good in it. So, you know, this is one of his wooden uh, performances. I, I know he's gone on record to say this is the the worst film that he, he he feels he's been in. Obviously, he felt I don't know a bit miscast in it and stuff. But then, yeah, well, I think he was the same kind of performance he gave in uh, the Happening. What? Yes. No, what? Me? Yeah. No. Yeah. The the Happening, the film that didn't really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Frappening. Yeah. Yeah. But but no, I mean you know I've got nothing against Mark Wahlberg. In fact, um fabulous career but um you, you but, do yeah. wonder why he gets cast in some of these roles because he just seems just on paper he seems wrong and yeah again on this he seemed wrong he just he wasn't a cat you know the actor to play this kind of part i you know who would have been probably would have been great in this part Piers brosnan yeah Piers brosnan would have been great in this part Pierce brosnan george clooney you, you know some some yeah. somebody somebody that 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 carries the sort of weight that that, that Cary Grant used to, you know? and But also oozes charisma, which yes. Mark Wahlberg does not. No, I, no, I, I agree. I mean, um, you know, the things the things that he tried to change, and, and I'll give Jonathan Demme credit that mm. he did, you know, he didn't do the Gus Van Sant thing and try and just completely remake it. He, he he made it his movie. You know, you've got lots of subjective shots in this. You've got lots of, I think the whole film is handheld, more or less. Um, and, uh, you, you know, he made it his own. Obviously, he went very different with the casting on this. Um, and, you, you know, I've got to give him credit for trying that. But does it work? Uh, sadly not. Um, the, and the other thing with it is I just think he was too close to the original material that this this film and his love of paris and 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 that sort of thing was was too important to him and i think that you know he was doing things in the filmmaking that that he really cared about but your general audience wouldn't and 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 that's why some of those some of those were like the, the lady on the bridge with the dog who is um forgive me i can't remember who who she is but she was a famous french actress in the 60s do you mean anna karina yeah oh yeah there you go anna karina yes yes she 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 who is huge obviously um but having her appear in the film it, it, it was distracting and it was unnecessary it was it was she didn't serve any purpose to this story it was it was shoehorned in and it it, it was just odd it just pulls you out of the film and feels weird um it was it was done for you know, it, it was indulgent. It was completely mm. self-indulgent and yeah. it just didn't I mean, really work. The, I mean, I, I don't mind when he has people singing in his films because it's, 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 it's a, a mark of his that he's used in other films. Oh, yes. Sorry, Anna Karina's in the singing scene, in oh, the, right. which is kind of... Sorry, there's another friend, uh, there's another actress then that's in the... She, she's the older woman that's on the bridge with the dog at the end. 
Tandy Newton's character, uh, Regina, stops and looks at her and then carries on, and it's totally forced because, right. as I said, it's not. Oh, okay. Well, it, I don't, it, I don't know, don't know who that is. But, yeah, uh, it serves no, no. Um, it serves no meaning in the film. Uh, you, you know that that's just. Uh, I wish I'd made notes. Now I didn't. I didn't make notes. But going back to my point, I mean, I, you know, when you is it Charles Aznavour? You know, but whoever the old man is singing. Oh, the singer. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, I, that I didn't mind because you know, I, I remember the end of Wild Thing where they have the the waitress singing Wild Thing as the end credits are going. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't mind that. That's you know, that is one of his his traits as a director. But um, I and also the whole point of being too close to a project. Um, you know, it didn't stop John Carpenter with the thing. No, which is obviously the other way when it turns into something genius. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it's just you know, you you roll you roll the dice, and in this case, it didn't work. Uh, yeah, if he had other actors in it, or a better script, or if he moved away from it, or he was more closer to it, we'll, we'll never know. But uh, you know, it's just this version of it was terrible. The best thing was on the poster uh, where it says the truth about Charlie. They, they, the end of the, the L.I.E. of Charlie, they, they colored different. So it says truth and lie, which is obviously what the whole movie is about. And that's that <laughs> when, when the poster is kind of the best thing that that that's that's not a good sign, really, is it? But um, well, uh, at least yeah. at least you have that. I mean, with my pick, you don't even have a good poster for it. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have any more to say about it? Because I don't. Well, I, no, again, like I said, I should really make notes because when I was watching it, there were all sorts of things that, that much more justified my um, my reasons than I'm probably giving here. But I, I'll be honest, I, I don't really... Uh, I don't really remember. All, all I know is, um, I, you know, I'm slightly biased because I am a, I am a fan of um, Charade uh and this this film you know paled in comparison and i just i this film just felt very it, it it felt like it didn't really know what it was to me um and you know like you said um a, a wonderful example of a remake or a reimagining is something like the thing where where they go another direction and they make that choice whereas mm. this was was part going in another direction but part trying to do a a a you know complete remake and um uh yeah I, I just i just didn't really like it and apparently the original screenwriter had his name changed on it as well because he, he didn't really want it be associated with it so <laughs> um so i i think it's generally quite panned and i think it is kind of cast as one of those um you know mark Wahlberg did take a lot of flack in the in the early noughties for um for, for sort of inferior remakes of, of, of classic films. And, uh, and, and this was certainly, well, in my opinion, this is the worst of them. <laughs> yeah, but my pick comes very, very close. Go for it. Let, 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 let's get on to your pick. Let's get on to my <laughs> pick. Um, right. Well, um, this is a film when, I, when it came out, I thought this is a, a really bad idea. I was a fan of the original one, but like Charade, it's a film of its time. It deals with the Cold War. It deals with brainwashing. It's the Manchurian candidate. I mean, you know, 
it's the fact that Manchurian Candidate is come is become like partly actual echelon of uh, you know of vocabulary. When you say Manchurian Candidate, you you're talking about somebody who's been brainwashed. They even used it in Civil War, didn't they? There we go. Yes, I think Tony Stark says it, doesn't he? Yes. Hey, Manchurian Candidate. Yes. <laughs> the thing about this update is that. Um, they change the war and they 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 make it so this time it's not communists who uh, have created this mole, but a corporation had you know created these sort of mindless soldiers and it's just this weird thing where you can kind of see where they were going with it, but it just really misses the mark. The the thing I think Denzel Washington plays it too crazy. I mean with. When it comes to the original, when it comes to Frank Sinatra, even though he was having problems and he got shifted onto a different department, he was still kind of believable. You know, he didn't come across as a raving lunatic, which, you know, uh, Denzel Washington does in this. You know, it, it would have been a nice twist if it turned out that he was wrong, that it was all in his head, that it wasn't this big government conspiracy or, you know, this, this corporation, this, uh, uh, funny enough called Manchurian that was, uh, I know trying to put somebody in the white house. I mean, there's better ways of doing it. We can see it now, you know, Trump, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he puts his name on everything. He don't hide who he is or who he works for. Life imitating art maybe. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, the sort of reasons for, you know, brainwashing these soldiers and and getting Raymond Shaw, you know, on the ticket to the White House, it just it, it doesn't make any real sense. Now, the original, it's in the middle of the Cold War. Uh, they just come back from the Korean War, and and they've got this weapon now that they can use. This assassin that you know doesn't um, question what what he has to do. And you you see they like they do a test with him where he kills um, the the owner of the newspaper he's working for, and you know you also see him kill other people. And in, in this, he only kills this other um, senator who he has a a thing with the daughter. But that's never really explored. I mean, in the original, you know, he's actually engaged to get married to this woman. You know. And it's just, you know, there was more there. So when he killed her, it was it, it struck you more than it does in this film. It just happens that she's there and he just shoots her and then she drowns. And you're just like, Puh, I don't care. It's it's this really weird thing where you just, there's there's no real connection with anybody. I mean, when Liv Schreiber's, you know, finds out that he's killed you know the woman he loves he doesn't really show that emotion in the original when when Raymond Shaw finds out about killing his fiance he's an absolute wreck and you re- and you and he wants to do everything in his power to get back at these people because they just ruined his life and of course spoiler you know his mother is part of this and he wants to ruin her life. So when he goes to assassinate 
uh, because it's it's not him in the original who's running for government. It's his father-in-law. And the idea is that uh, if he shoots like the his opposition on the ticket, that they will, you know, have there'll be an uproar in the country. And of course, his father-in-law will get voted in. Uh, and this time he's the senator. So it, it makes no sense that he would be shooting. I don't know. Oh no, no, it's Denzel Washington who's the sniper. I mean, it's just what the fuck, <laughs> you know? It just it it's just so many changes, and it just doesn't it it just doesn't work. Okay, it's just yeah. I just I don't know. What did you think of it? Well, in this case, um, I'm not entirely sure that I that I agree with you so much on this one because. Um, I went back, uh, I, I watched them both back to back. So I went back, I watched Frankenheimer's uh, original with, with Sinatra. Um, and by, by the way, a uh, little aside, uh, Arrow Video do a really good um, Blu-ray edition of this with, with loads of interesting extras. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's, it's a good, it's good transfer as well. Um, is that, but, is that 20 quid they owe you now? Yeah, I, I wish, for I, that I, wish I was on, I bloody wish I was on some money for this, but no. Um, so, so, you know, I went and watched that and then I, then I revisited this one again. And, um, you see, unlike my argument about the, 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 the truth about Charlie, um, in this one, uh, I feel that yes, yes, it obviously it does share some plot similarities. Um, it does, of course, have a different outcome, um, and of course, it is it is um, an, an update. Uh, obviously, this is all based on, of course, Richard Condon's novel from 1959 or whatever of, of the same name. Um, but I, but I felt that this was this was different enough, and they they'd sort of moved away and reimagined it enough. Um, that it didn't bother me so much. The one thing that I think is the is the big problem with it, and of course it, 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 it's it's the property, um, is is kind of the title really, because making the corporation, the conglomerates, um, you, you know, giving them the name Manchurian was just a way for them to be able to use the title and for yeah. it to make sense, because yeah. otherwise, um, you, you, you know, obviously it was part of the plot in the original. Yeah. I, I, you know, whereas, whereas I thought that was obviously a bit forced to, to sort of get the title, um, the actual execution of the film and the performances and the changes and the updates and the, 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 the slightly sort of sci-fi, um, thriller element behind it. Um, I, you know, I didn't mind. I saw this as different enough to, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the original film is fantastic, and it was great to revisit that. And um, I, I forgot, you know, just just how good like Angela Lansbury was mm. <laughs> as that sort of manipulative uh, mother figure that she that she played in that. And and of course, um, you, you know, I, I think it's it's different, but Meryl Streep, um, you, you know, does a good job in in, in this reimagining. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like Denzel. I, I didn't really. I didn't really have a, a an issue so much with the changes and and, and with the performance. I, I actually thought this was kind of a a, a decent thriller, um, and I thought it was different enough from the original that that it didn't, you know, as I said, it shared it shared the plot, of course, and it had some of the archetypes in terms of the characters, and it even obviously uses the same character names 
in a lot of cases. Obviously, one of the main differences with being in this in this instance, uh, Meryl Streep's character is actually a, a senator and um, not the wife wife of the candidate, which was which was obviously the plot line in in the original. And of course, they changed the um, they changed the triggering device in this one a lot. So instead of being the game of of solitaire. Um, you know, it was done through the uh, through through the telephone call, and uh, obviously the the implant uh, in the brain. So they they kind of they'd kind of made it a bit more about sort of technology and science and and that sort of thing. But well, the the implant wasn't in the brain; it was in the shoulder. That's that's that didn't make no fucking sense, did it? Oh, the implant they got bitten out. Yeah, yeah the trace, the trait, the tracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever um, it was. I mean, it's yeah, just... I mean. You know, I, I can sort of see I can see what you mean, and I'm actually really glad you chose it because I found it quite interesting as an exercise to sort of revisit both of them because it had been a long time since I'd seen the um, uh, seen the Frankenheimer film, and obviously I hadn't watched this since it was at the at the cinema, so it was good to um, it was good to uh, to go back and revisit it, and and I can I can certainly see your point, um, but. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I, I actually, I didn't mind it. I quite, I quite enjoy it for what it is. It's a, t- it's no, it's just, it is terrible. I <laughs> know, oh, seriously, it, it's, it's really terrible. I mean, even on its own merits, it's just not very good. It's not Silence of the Lambs, admittedly. But... No, but I mean, the, the thing is that it, it concentrates too much on Denzel Washington and Liv Schraver's characters, and everybody around them kind of takes like a side seat. You don't really get to know them that well. You don't really get to know them outside the sphere of these two characters. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, a bit more character development on both John Voight and Vera Farmiga yeah. would make their um their 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 death at the lake um yeah ha- have a lot more resonance. I will absolutely one hundred percent agree with you on 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 that. Yes, yeah. But I mean, with everybody, I mean, um, so um, Janet Lee, Janet Lee. Oh, in the original, in yeah, the original, Janet Lee. Janet yeah. Lee okay, her character is a bit of a perfunctory character she's very much yeah she she meets major marco on the on the train and they have a relationship and um she's kind of somebody that he can talk to and you know has a relationship with but apart from that she doesn't affect the plot too much and then this um marco's um love interest turns out that she's secret service and she got close to him because they thought he was a threat and yeah, I was gonna say they tried to give her more to do because let's be yeah. honest, Jan- Janet Lee, lovely as she is, that in the original film, that is one of the the criticisms actually about the original film is that is kind of a a, a thankless role. Really, it, it is, it? but she's kind of like a ray of hope in his sort of with what he's going through, and you know, at the end of the day, when things do go south and she's he's not able to save Raymond Shaw and stuff, you know, he's he still has this relationship. His life isn't. You know, you know, and then you know, at an end. I mean, he. This is the thing. I mean, in the original, Ben Marco, he tries to to save his his companion. I mean, he never really thought of him as a friend, but uh, he starts to care for him because he's in this situation that he has no control over. That these people can switch him on and switch him off at will, just through, you know, saying his name on the telephone and. It's, 
you know, asking him to play a game of uh, solitaire mm-hmm. and the whole, you know, the Queen of Hearts. Yeah. But I mean, even the Queen of Hearts has uh, meaning because it refers to his mother. Yes. Yeah. And, and the thing is, as well, is there's an incredible scene at the beginning of the, re- of the original where they have the nightmare and it's it's so the soldiers believe that they are um in a hotel where like a ladies (laughs) uh you know knitting circle or having a meeting Uh, i'm not quite sure if it's a knitting circle that's what springs to mind Uh, but then you see in reality that they're actually uh in this bunker and there's all these different uh majors from the different countries and stuff and it cuts between them and so one minute you might see a woman talking and it cuts to the main doctor. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's, it's amazingly done. I oh, mean, it is amazingly done. It is Because it's done in a done. 360 as well at the beginning of that yeah. whole sequence, yeah. which, um, again, is, is, you know, a seamless 360 camera move that, 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 that you know, ends with the, the, the shift to what's really happening from what they think's happening. And it's so well done. No, I agree. And they didn't, they didn't try and go there with that at all in this film. No, they they just they just had the perfunctory flashing imagery stuff. You know, it's just like, well, we've seen this a hundred times. I mean, you take the original, which is a film that probably had, you know, probably not as much as a budget as this film did, and just they they were very inventive with what they did. And this, it just was perfunctory. It was just another thriller. It was just there was you know nothing to it i don't feel there was anything to it i didn't feel there was any stakes i mean what was the stakes why did they do you know why did manchurian do this what they were that was the thing it was like well what was what was the point of it what why were they doing this it makes it makes no sense it was just for uh well it was it was that thing about uh what we sort of joked about earlier was there was the um the whole thing about corporations controlling the uh the, the, the government and and you know gaining power that way and um but yeah it was it was purely that in in this in terms of the actual stakes yeah yeah but i mean they were doing these experiments with soldiers i mean if if, if they wanted to get somebody in as a politician then maybe they should have just experimented on politicians <laughs> it would have been far easier i mean this is this is the thing it just makes no sense there's no sense of why they would try and brainwash people I mean, what was their final goal, apart from trying to get somebody into, you know, the, bec- becoming the president? Yeah. But there's easier ways of doing that. If they're such a big corporation, they have plenty of money. They can always back somebody. They can always buy the press out. You know, it, it, it just it, it made no sense because the original Manchurian Candidate is a film of its time. It comes out of its surroundings and bringing it to now and trying to make a similar story, it just doesn't work. It just, it, it doesn't have that, you know, content. It doesn't have that historical background to it. It just, it, it just, it just seemed to be like a, a remake for remake worth. I, I the, the, a friend of mine had a theory that a lot of these remakes 
come along because the the titles the films are running out so to to keep so that studios can keep hold of the copyrights of that title oh and that that is absolutely that is why many many remakes are made it's it's simply because um you, you know uh, without wanting to get get off topic too much but you know that's the reason that the um the the the, the spider-man reboots were made originally was because uh the studio uh, Sony Studios was going to lose the character back to Marvel if they didn't, um, y- y- you know, produce another film. Hence, hence why they 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 made the film with Andrew Garfield. You know that that was that was the sole reason that that happened when it did. Well, that that that's a contract that they have with Marvel. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's one entity that originally owns a character that sold the rights to i'm talking about you know films in in general you know yeah titles. but i mean it happens with other things oh as yeah, well. yeah, yeah i mean it's like yeah. no, no, I'm... the whole silence of the lambs thing as well and yeah. um and and you know some of cameron's work we've talked about as well you know sometimes these uh these rights things they're they're up by a certain date so uh you, you know people want to capitalize on it yeah so <laughs> but i'm talking about like a, you know extending that when you you own, when a studio owns a property owns a title and that they they don't want to lose the copyright on it so because if they make another version of the film then the copyright re, you know starts again from that time instead of when it was previously done yeah well i mean it, it happens i'm not saying it's right but it happens oh no and it's <laughs> it's a terrible reason to make a film of course it is yeah yeah but i mean that's the business part <laughs> you know that's that's why you know, remakes has become a, a dirty word because, at the end of the day, remakes back in the day seemed to be from somebody who had a pure passion for that project and wanted to do something with it. Now they're just kind of like, well, we'll just remake it and we'll just make it now to keep the costs down. And it wasn't as bad as is Liv Shriver's next remake, which was the <laughs> Omen. <laughs> yeah. Messing with another D, you see, D for Donna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's 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 uh, it, it's interesting, and uh, well, I mean, as we record this podcast, we're very much in a um, <laughs> a, a, a time where similar things are mm. going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that is a whole other podcast. <laughs> well, uh, I think that's a, a good place to end it. Um... But um, but John, Jonathan Demi, we like your work <laughs> on the most part, don't, don't, don't we? We do. Yes. So oh, no. I mean, I mean um, when he does original work, it's great. I just think he should just, uh, you know, stay away from remakes because that's kind of where he kind of falls down a bit. Well, interestingly, both our movie hells were remakes. There you go, and yeah. and that's uh, that that says something right there, doesn't it? Um, but uh, but yeah, in terms of our. Uh, in terms of his, the rest of his body of work, very good. And I believe, um, I, I think the last thing I actually remember him doing was the, the, the well, again, it's sort of a reimagining, I suppose, but the, 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 the TV series The Killing, I believe he directed uh, the pilot and some of the episodes of that, I think. Well, funnily enough, he actually re- he teamed up with Mel Streep again to do Ricky and the Flash. Oh, right. Okay. Shit, I, I didn't see that. I haven't seen that one. No, I haven't Have seen that either. No, okay. <laughs> it just it didn't seem like my cup of tea, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, it's interesting that after our two picks for movie hell, that um, the next film that he went on to make after doing a few documentaries was Rachel getting married. 
yes and that uh he he talks about being influenced by dogma and using yes. that kind of style to shoot the film so even he was getting i guess a bit bored and unhappy with his work so you know he needed to mix it up a bit yeah certainly tried yeah. a lot of things oh, gotcha. in his yeah, career yeah, yeah. um yeah. and uh you know good on him but uh but yeah i mean if if only for silence of the lambs alone we 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 have to thank him immensely, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and let's not forget um, Philadelphia. And even oh, though, well, yes, and, and even though I haven't seen it, Beloved is supposed to be very good as well. Do you know? I realised when I was looking through his Canada work that I hadn't seen Beloved, which which I feel terrible that I haven't seen that because I believe that's when he first met Tandy Newton. That's actually right. was yeah. was on that film. Um, so I need to check that out. Yeah, that was the that was the one starring Oprah Winfrey. In it. Yeah. Yes. No, I, I I remember when it came out, but uh, again, it, it just sort of yeah, it didn't sort of it wasn't something that I was kind of interested in seeing. So, but Philadelphia, as you rightly said, was 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 a fantastic film. Um, although it did get backlash as 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 not going there as much as it should have. Um, apparently you're bringing that subject matter to a mainstream audience and you're you know back in back in those days back in 93 i mean we're not as liberal as we are now i mean to have no. as a, a, a gay character as your lead mm. you know it's it was it was kind of it was progressive back then it did all right for hanks though didn't it <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah i think we've 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 given Demi some justice, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. As always, Keith, uh, where can people find your work? Okay, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, that's E Y L E S. Um, there are some uh, short films that I've written, produced, and directed that you can see there. Um, and uh, other than that, in terms of seeing what I've what I've done and what I'm currently working on, if you put my name into IMDb. Um, there are some credits listed there also. And as always, you can find my work at uh, independentrunnings.com. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And if you're on uh, iTunes and Stitcher, uh, please leave us a review and a rating. So uh, thank you for listening. And... uh, Join us next time for the next episode of Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Bye-bye.